Please stand for the reading of the word from Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured the oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, the ornament that Alan's now placing on the Jesse tree, if you could see it, is a ladder. Because Jacob is part of this tree that grows up into the tree of Jesse that becomes a stump. And out of that stump, a shoot. And that shoot, the hope of the whole world. It is dangerous to be traveling alone in the ancient world. It's not like traveling now. There are roads, but these roads are not patrolled or policed in any sort of way. Cities provide security, but traveling between cities is extremely dangerous because that's where the thieves and the bandits lie in wait for ancient travelers. Naturally, it's safer to travel in large groups, so ancient travelers find people to go with them when they need to go somewhere. They find family members or fellow tribesmen. It's carefully planned out. It is absolutely reckless to travel in the ancient world by yourself. You should never, ever do it. But if for some unthinkable reason you must travel by yourself in the ancient world, you should never travel so far that it takes a full day because you should never, ever travel and be caught out at night. So the hero of our story today, if we can call him that, is the patriarch Jacob, forefather of Jesus. And he's on the road by himself. He's traveling north on a crooked desert road, and it's getting late. He looks to his left, and the sun is setting low in the western horizon. He might take a moment to see how beautiful it is, but he might have other concerns. He is in the wilderness of ancient Israel. He is in the middle of nowhere, and he is all alone. This is the first night of a long, long journey. The only consolation that Jacob may have on this road alone at night is that he has absolutely nothing to steal. 
He's alone with nothing. He's exposed. And why would our hero do something so dangerous? Well, he's on the run. He's the youngest son of Isaac and Rebekah, and he has just stolen his brother Esau's birthright. You probably remember the story. It's pretty weird. Uh, basically, Esau and Jacob are the sons of Abraham. Sorry, Jacob and Esau's grandfather is Abraham, and of all the people in the history of the world that God could choose to start a family with, God chooses Abraham. And God says to Abraham that he's going to give him many, many descendants and that his descendants will bless the whole world. So Abraham has many, many sons. And one of those sons, Isaac, is the next to receive the blessing that Abraham got from God. Isaac is going to be the one through whom this blessing travels. He will have many, many descendants and the whole world will be blessed because of them. The birthright is a big deal. So Isaac and his wife Rebecca have two boys. Esau is the oldest, and he likes to hunt, and he's really hairy. And Jacob, he's the youngest, and he's a scoundrel. In fact, his name means grabs them by the heel, which is like an ancient Israelite idiom for scoundrel, liar, backstabber. And you would think Esau, being the oldest, would get the birthright. And this is when the story gets really, really weird. The birthright should go to the oldest son, but because Isaac's wife, Rebecca, inappropriately lets everyone know that she likes her younger son, Jacob, better, uh, her and Jacob create a plot and plan to tra trick Isaac into giving Jacob the birthright and not Isaac. Rebecca helps Jacob trick their, his, her husband and his father into giving the birthright, and Esau does not get it. One might think logically, when Isaac realizes that he's been tricked by his wife and youngest son, that he might go, well, hold on a minute. I've been tricked. I'm kind of blind, and they took advantage of that. I hereby rescind my blessing to Jacob, and I'm going to go back and give it to Esau, the one who deserves it. But that's not what happens. Isaac honors that birthright blessing. Words really matter these people. Blessings are binding. God hears the words of human blessings and they stick. Jacob's blessing is cast. Esau is understandably upset, as we all might be, growing up thinking you're going to be the one to receive the birthright. Uh, but Jacob receives the blessing, and he takes off. Maybe the tension inside the family was just too much. Jacob leaves to a far-off country, traveling the ancient roads all alone and with nothing. Nothing but the blessing of Abraham to be the father and the blessing of many. Jacob runs away from home and he heads north to Haran. It's a really far ways away. He's going to Haran to find a wife. And after a day of running, he looks to the left and sees the sun setting over the Mediterranean. And he stops for the night, 
carrying no pillow or pack of extra clothes to use as a pillow, he finds a rock and he lies his head down on the rock as, as a pillow. And at this point in the story, we really have no idea where it is that he's choosing to stop. In fact, the narrative goes out of its way to let us know that it's a non-specific place. Calling it, he stops at a certain place. And later on, that place that he stopped. All that we know is it's completely unremarkable. Maybe it's off the road some so that he's disguised from ancient bandits and thieves. Maybe he's found a ditch somewhere and this rock that he's lying his head on is off the main road some. Wherever he is in this certain place with a rock for a pillow, all we know is it's unremarkable and he's alone. And then he has a dream. In the dream, we discover he's not alone. And in fact, this place is the most important place on earth. He is at the bottom of a ladder. And as he looks up, he sees the messengers of God, angels, being sent on errands from God to the earth and returning from the earth doing God's will. And he looks at the top of the ladder, and there stands God. And God speaks to Jacob. And God confirms the blessing of Abraham on Jacob. Jacob is not alone. And this place where God meets him is the place where God arrives in the world. God's arrival has a name. It's called Advent. It's the season we're in. We're in the season of God's arrival, God's advent. And this particular arrival of God is shocking. It's beautiful. I find it extremely tender and even maybe caring that God keeps God's word to Abraham, even though Jacob and Rebekah trick their way into it. It says something about God's faithfulness. And uh, we also have to admit, it's pretty weird. It's kind of a weird story. Doesn't make much sense. I want to start with this. The angels need a ladder. Did we ever wonder about the angels needing a ladder? Angels have wings. Presumably they could have float, floated, 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 plastics for float, down to earth. But they need a ladder? If, if there are still angels coming in and out of the earth, are they still using a ladder? I think it's worth asking. God honors Isaac's blessing. Really? It's clearly unfair. God has a good plan for the earth. God is going to lead restoration and blessing through this family to the whole earth. And because Rebecca and Jacob game the system, because they're scoundrels and deceitful, God, who loves justice, just says, well, Isaac said it. I guess I better do it. Isn't it, doesn't it make sense that Esau, who's presumably a more uh, person of integrity, doesn't it make sense that Esau would be the one who would become the forefather of our Messiah? 
That's not the hardest part for me. The hardest part is that it happens in a dream. It happens in a dream. And it happens to someone who is a known liar. And there's no one else there to say, yeah, it happened. It happens in a dream. It happens to someone who's pretty good at getting his way through being deceitful. And he's alone. And Jacob who is okay sliding a dead animal's carcass onto himself like you slide on a dinner jacket to trick his blind father into giving him a blessing, well, he's the one who gets this blessing. He's the one who sees God arrive in the world, and we're just supposed to believe it. Well, we may not believe it. Frankly, I wish it were easier to believe. Not just the dream part, not just the part where we have to trust Jacob, the part where God arrives in the first place. Sometimes I wish we saw more of God. Lately during Advent, there's been this really bizarre fight between people about whether or not to say uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays to complete strangers. It's like uh, some sort of proof of, of faith to say Merry Christmas to somebody we don't know as, as a way of showing we're followers of God. I wish we didn't have to prove our faith to strangers. I wish we didn't have to prove our faith at all. I wish believing was more seeing. I wish we saw God more. I sometimes get fairly tired and impatient with all the waiting in Advent. The Advent season, in certain places all over the world, we will wait longer than we want. In certain places, people far more deserving than Jacob We'll wait on God, and God will not arrive. There will be a family this Advent season in a certain place that will spend Christmas in the hospital with a child. In certain places in Abilene, unaccompanied youth will lay down for the night on a pillow, on a couch in a living room that is not theirs and a stairway to heaven will not mysteriously appear before them. This Advent season, you will sit down in certain places, and you will eat a meal, and you will look up at a chair that is empty. Empty because someone who you prayed for and God did not arrive is no longer there. In certain places, you will worry about money this Advent season. You will fight with loved ones in certain places. You will worry you have not done enough in certain places. You will worry that if people really knew you, they wouldn't want you. You will feel alone and lonely. So why does God show up for Jacob in this certain place? How do we steal someone's birthright? How does God show up in this certain place at this time to people who have just been trying to do what God wants us to do? Maybe it was just a dream. Jacob wakes up, and the rock he has used for a pillow, well, he stands it up, and he says, this is now an altar because he wants everyone to know, everyone who ever passes this way again, he wants them to know what he saw, and he wants them to believe that it's true. Maybe it was just a dream, but Jacob believed it. 
Jacob even says, when I come back to this spot with my big, big family that God's going to give me, I'm going to tell them all that this was it. This was the place where I knew it was all going to be true. This is where I saw God standing on the top of a ladder, sending his messengers to work the earth on his behalf. And God spoke to me and told me, you would all be with me one day. This is the place. This is where I knew I would never be alone ever again. Jacob made the pillow into an altar, and the certain place became a sacred space. And he named it the house of God, because this is the place where God arrives in the world. Maybe it's just a dream, but Jacob believes it's real. Jacob says, surely God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. So maybe certain places can be sacred spaces. Maybe God arrives in these unremarkable places more than we ever realized. Maybe there are more altars in this world, and we just didn't know it. God almost never arrives when we expect, and God certainly never arrives how we expect. In a matter of years, God will arrive again as a strange man Jacob has to wrestle all night long. God will arrive to Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, in a series of dreams that are even stranger than this one. God arrives to Moses in a burning bush, to Moses and all of Israel with him as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, to Joshua as a man at night with a sword. He arrives to Elijah in an all-consuming silence. God will arrive as dry bones, a talking donkey, and a man walking in a fire who is not consumed. Maybe all of these people were just dreaming too. But like Jacob, they didn't think so. More importantly, they believed that thereafter, God was always with them. The thing about God's arrivals is that God never shows up when we expect, and God rarely shows up to whom we expect, and God never shows up in the forms we expect. But there is one thing about God's arrival we have got to remember. When God says he'll show up, God always keeps that promise. One day, God is going to send his messenger down that ladder, and he's going to send that messenger to a certain place to a teenage girl and he's going to tell her that God is coming and in nine months God shows up as a baby Jesus Emmanuel God with us do you remember what Jesus says the last thing he says before he leaves he says the same thing that God said to Jacob in this certain place. He said, behold, I am always with you. And God always keeps that promise. Would you stand and sing?